um, Tuesday night, so it's Friday for you. Welcome to the Heavy Hole. My name's Tom. I, I'm Big Will. I'm really confused now. I don't even know what time, what day it is. You've got the window blocked out in the cryptic basement here. I can't even tell if it's light. It's like it's like the basement in Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Uh, you know what? You, I, I just want to know what I'm in for. So I can't have the sun coming in here and messing things up. All right. Well, listen. I can tell you. All right. Listen up, sun. Uh, I'll tell you what you're in for. Okay. okay. It's the Heavy Hole <laughs> Podcast, kid. And uh, it might seem a little lonely. Yeah. It might seem a little aloof tonight. That's because Justin is in absentia. That's right. As they say. Out of townshia. In Rome. Yeah. 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 Uh, so big shout to Justin. We miss you, kid. Uh, he's, he's out there on the road. He's uh, like literally, I, I don't know if he has, even has shoes on at this point. He's hitchhiking, I heard. He used to do this thing when we toured together where he would uh, wear flip-flops and, and shower the rest of his body, but let his feet become very dark. Yeah. And uh, he and my lead singer, Gabe, would do this. And the two of them would see who can get the dirtiest feet. You guys no longer tour together. I yes. would like to add. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Maybe that's like maybe you ask him to keep the shoes on when he comes into your house instead of take the shoes off. Like, you just always have a cigarette lid, so you can't smell anything. <laughs> and the shower with flip flops and a cigarette lid. That's how we want to picture Justin. Yep. Um, wearing limited edition death shorts from 1993, though. Not. Yeah, yes. Not. Not, not. Not the full Monty. And pit vipers with the windshield wiper yeah. installation. He's he's somewhere there on, on a, at a Hearts Road stop. In a, using the, the, the pay shower right oh, now wow. doing that. I hear those are very clean. I wouldn't know. Yeah, I wouldn't know either, but um, yeah. anyway, this well, sh- too much shower talk. Yeah, yeah, too much pillow talk, tough guy. Yeah. Listen, Tom, let's do the weekend talk first of all. Right, right. This weekend, oh, I saw some family. That was nice. Had a few drinks. Uh, one thing's bothering me. I'm, 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 I've decided to go full metal. So I'm letting my hair grow out. And I'm in this phase where I have this, like, I'm wearing a hat a lot because it just poofs. I I look like I'm uh, a baby from Candlemas. And that's rough on my ego. And I wear a hat, and sometimes if I don't put it on right and tuck my hair in the right way, it looks like I have, like, a, you know, a analog pornography uh, collection. You don't? Um... No, I just don't. I, okay. I never have. But I think I technically do, just because I own tapes and CDs of like so many gore grind bands. Right, you can put together like a that, nipple here and there. Like it's not like it's not like in my mind, it's not porn. But if you pull out that Waco Jesus CD, I guess that's porn. The, the, I never want to own those. Yeah, I never want to own. You know, music's fine, but yeah, uh, I'm not sure I do anymore. But they're just there. Yeah. yeah, but I don't know, dude. I have nothing to report really. It's been the same. I'm studying a lot, doing a C sharp. If anyone's a back end programmer. Wants to reach out and tell me how to do it? Let me know. I was that. Were we gonna? Were we gonna censor what you just said? I don't even know what that <laughs> means. It's weird. It's all right. It's uh, it's not important. In okay, fact, it's uh, not weekend talk. So tell I, me about I think your. There's a Waco Jesus song title. Something about the back end. Yeah, uh, whoa. Back end uh, developments. My uh, listen. All right. Enough. Listen. Enough potty talk. Yeah. You want to talk God. about my weekend? Um, listen. I know people. There's people out there. There's rumors. Um, Big Will is illiterate. That's that's what people say. People say I don't I've know. never said that for the record once. There's well, it's it, I won't get into it. All right, but there's a little back talk out there. I've been reading a book. Okay. Uh, I was talking about that finished death metal book. I finished that book. I read the whole book. You finished the finish. I didn't just look at the pictures like some people might be insinuating out there. No, um, just because I'm not uh, extremely well educated, professional student educated. I read. I've, I'm actually. I'm, I'm this one. I will full disclosure. I got about a chapter left on it, but. Metal on Ice 
by Sean Kelly, our Canadian friends to the north. Tales from Canada's hard rock and heavy metal heroes. Nice little book. Um, I got to say, I would recommend this if you're interested in Canadian hard rock and heavy metal. It's a little glammy. Okay. Little 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 commercial eighties, you know. But they're, 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 like Helix is in there. That's cool. Killer Dwarves a lot, and there is there's a fair amount of banter regarding um, Razor, uh, Voivod. So that, you know it gets heavy. Like it's okay. it's a very interesting look into the um, the the climate uh, and what it was like to be a Canadian musician chasing the great. Uh, commercial metal gold rush of the late 80s and 90s. I thought this was a great book. I just wanted to shout that out for the listeners. Um, metal on Ice, the book by Sean Kelly. So, yeah. So, um, I also, uh, big shout, we recently had Mike Zancelli on the show, Paragon Records and Dimension on. Uh, I told you guys, I'm on a Discogs Odyssey. Right, I'm, a, I'm on a Disc Odyssey right now. Right, it's hard. I You're staring the abyss. Yeah, I opened up my Discogs account. Every day when I wake up at 5 a.m. now, I'm waking up earlier now just to check Discogs. I check uh, for that original um, cadaver from Norway, uh, hallucinating anxiety. I have hallucinating anxiety about that album, and I'm just waiting for it to drop down to $3. And wait, I'm waiting for that special, rare, uh, brand-new, 100% no-bootleg Russian Federation copy to pop up. Right. Um, legitimately. But... Uh, in the meantime, shout out to Paragon Records because I was able to procure on Discogs for a very reasonable price this CD by Permanent Midnight from Pennsylvania, Under the Blood Moon. Uh, Permanent Midnight. I don't know if you remember. Um, Werewolf? Yes. Okay. Werewolf themed. And I'm going to go out on a limb here. We were talking in our interview just recently also with uh, Nick of Vomit Forth about this variety of brutal death metal from the 90s. Uh, northeastern death metal, right? Um, not particular, not not necessarily slamming, but brutal and chunky and evil. I gotta say, this permanent midnight in my mind is a perfect contender to be labeled northeastern death metal. This is a amazing album with so much atmosphere and so much brutality. That's my little uh, that's my little tie in. Um, not, I guess it's a, it's early in the night for a recommendation, but you asked me how my weekend was, and I you know I read a book, I got a CD. Sometimes they're album centric. Yeah, that's uh, well. That's a very analog weekend. Everything was physical. It was right. in my hands. You know what I'm saying? It was. Yeah. No. I mean, uh, when it comes to the digital stuff, I was all over it, but very guilty of no analog this weekend. Well, listen, a guy who knows a lot about analog every weekend of his life. Nice. A guy who may or may not know something about standing in a Hearts Road stop at the pay shower and flip flops. He's done a lot of touring. Yeah. Um, we're going to get him on the horn. I'm talking about none other than Morris Kolontursky of Blood Incantation, Spectral Voice, uh, several other projects. We're going to talk all about it with him. Get him on the horn, please, sir. Won't keep him waiting. Yeah, just like just like you wait outside of those heart size pay showers in the flip-flops. Big Will from Heavy Hole Podcast, joined by my co-host, Tom. And unfortunately, Justin couldn't be with us tonight. Big shout to Justin. He'll be back next week. Tonight, our special guest is none other than Morris Kolontursky of Blood Incantation, Spectral Voice, Black Curse, and many other projects and bands. How you doing, Morris? 
I'm good, guys. How are you? Fantastic, man. Yeah, Thanks for joining. Very well, in spite of it all, man. Hanging, hanging in there. Um, and uh, uh, speaking of uh, that, we want to ask you how uh, you and um, your associates have been getting along uh, in these times and what your plans are um, for the immediate future and what's been going on. But uh, before all that, um, you told us uh, you, you've, you've heard the show before. You know where I'm going, Morris. Uh, we want to know a little bit about your background. And the go-to question is always, are you from a particular music, particularly music, wow, that coffee's good you gave me, Tom. Yeah. Are you from a particularly musical family, or was there anyone in your background that maybe uh, persuaded you into heavy metal or hard rock or anything like that? Yeah, so uh, my dad is pretty much the reason for all this and where I'm at today. He, uh, he grew up playing guitar back in Russia, played in the, the army band, doing all sorts of stuff, covers from like Deep Purple to Beatles, and then got really into jazz and classical music. So he's like a super well-trained, at one point professional jazz and classical guitar player that actually played in Broadway pit bands in Manhattan for shows like Cats. Oh, no way. Um, so <laughs> there was never, yeah, yeah, he's a serious, awesome. serious deal. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so there was never really a point in my life where, uh, I remember growing up being like, I think I want to play guitar. He was like, you're going to play guitar. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, when I was like six about is when he started making me play classical guitar and I hated it, man. It was brutal. You know, I'd have to come home and before homework, before anything else, after school, that was like the main thing. He tried to do it with my sister too, who's seven years older than me. And that did not work out as well. <laughs> um, so yeah he pretty much set me on the path and uh, I mean he still plays to this day huh. mostly just for himself and friends and he and I will jam every time I go home but yeah he had a pretty pretty solid career and uh, you know he was never in the business of like trying to make it like big time or any of that although he has played with some pretty like uh known players in the jazz scene namely ron carter who used to be in miles davis's band wow okay cool. yeah did your father do uh studio sessions or more like live work it was mostly live stuff you know like uh late night jam sessions at like village vanguard and places like that and random other places around manhattan that probably don't exist anymore i don't even know the names of them Okay, I'm not a big jazz aficionado, but I do own a number of McCoy Tyner records, and I know Ron Ron Carter uh, worked with McCoy Tyner. I was just curious if maybe there was a correlation there or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the guy has an insane catalog. I don't yeah, know yeah, who all Ron Carter worked with, but that was like the one name I always remembered wow. as a kid and telling me about. Okay, wow. So, um, uh, and and then well. On that note, then, Morris, um, you originally have roots in New York, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, I lived there from the time, it's kind of hard to remember, from a very young kid. So my family moved down from Vermont to New York when I was just a baby. So, yeah, most most of my life, I moved when I was uh, 18. So most of my like adolescent and teenager life was spent there, pretty much all of it, Okay, do you have any recollection of, uh, or actually, let's start with this. What about getting into harder types of music or more um, 
uh, independent or underground forms of rock music. Um, t- tell us about that. At what age do you start veering into that? So, interesting question. Because when when I was growing up, before I really, like, you know, as a kid, when you listen to music, you hear whatever your parents are listening to, and it kind of sits with you subconsciously. So, for me, that stuff was like, when my dad did listen to rock, it was like Queen, or like I said, Deep Purple, because that was one of the few bands that was allowed in the Soviet Union for some reason. Um, Beatles, Black Sabbath, and I remember when I turned maybe like 11 or 12, uh, my dad bought me Black Sabbath Master of Reality, uh, Deep Purple Machine Head, and then as a total outlier thing, just because he was like aware of what was happening in the world, even if he didn't necessarily like it, he got me a Nirvana's Nevermind. Hmm. Wow, that's a pretty that's and a pretty good so, trio of records yeah. there. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's yeah. Pretty crazy. And so yeah, I I was into that stuff for sure. But that was like you know along the path of the stuff that like he had gotten me into. But as far as like my own shit, I soon after that got into stuff like Slayer and Metallica. Uh, based on an older friend I had who played in a bunch of really cheesy power metal bands. And he was like obsessed with stuff like Stradivarius and some other Arctic. But he showed me Metallica Kill 'em All when I was like 13. And that pretty much, you know, set me on the path. And from there, I found out Iron Maiden and like, you know, the whole thing progresses. Okay, it sounds like you left New York City maybe a little bit too young to 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 experience New York City's underground music scene for metal and hardcore and, and punk. Is is that true? Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, when I was in high school, I, me and my buddy Justin, we're like, he was the only other dude I knew. He's like one of my closest friends, my brother, pretty much. We were the only two people that really listened to any stuff like that. And I have to say, I went to a private Jewish school from second to 11th grade. So it was a pretty sheltered community of kids that weren't necessarily listening to the kind of stuff we were. So a lot of the things that we were really about were, you know, the classics. And, you know, I I got into more extreme stuff like Cradle of Health, but that's obviously still super overground. You know what I mean? But breaking into a scene of, yeah, like local music or anything like that was, I like, it wasn't even like an existing idea for us because of how obsessed we were with all the bigger bands and going to see shows at like Hammersmith Ballroom or Irving Plaza and shit like that. Um, and we always wanted to start bands, but like we didn't know it. And like the type of school we went to didn't really allow us to experience, uh, say, kids that went to public school that did play in local bands and stuff like that. All right, and what, was there a backlash towards heavy metal uh, being in that sort of more conservative environment? Uh, I mean, there was a backlash to us being the way we were, for sure. I, like, the musical aspect of it it, it, it was, like, so foreign to a lot of these kids and their parents that that wasn't even really necessarily the focus. And, uh, you know, my parents were always super supportive and, like, it was always fine, but like the, the music was secondary to honestly how we looked and how we acted. Yeah, yeah, it, it always is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, um, yeah. If they, un- I mean, if they understood the intricacies of the guitar and all that stuff, they might, you know, they might push you a little bit. Yeah. But, but yeah, that- well, no, they were all concerned with like Jack Johnson and fucking feel good vibes. <laughs> <laughs> nice man. So, um, uh, 
then then you go to Colorado um, uh, at 18 years old. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit yeah, so actually, about? Yeah, tell us a little bit about that, please. So, in high school, I was dating this girl who's a year older than me, and she went to CU Boulder, and kind of convinced me to move out there. And obviously, within the first week that I got there, we broke up. And I was like, oh no, what have I done? <laughs> I'm in this fucking foreign place. Like, it's not city like at all. It's full of mountains. I've never even seen mountains like this before in my life. Crazy. But I made the best of it. And for the first two years, really, I just kind of played music by myself in my dorm and then, like, whatever house I lived in. And I found, like, a small community of friends that were into stuff like, uh, sleep and high on fire and a bunch of the stone kind of things going on and it kind of opened my uh perception of things going on in the world outside of what just like iron maiden like the huge band you know what i mean but i also like i mean i knew some other stuff like <laughs> namely i remember uh discovering mastodon and three inches of blood around the time i was like 18 and moving to colorado it's like oh wow this is kind of crazy these bands aren't that big this is weird um <laughs> So yeah, I mean, that's how I ended up there, and then uh, just was in school, focused on that. Obviously, I was still playing music and writing riffs, and determined to one day have a band, and was like jamming around with people. Like, dude, my freshman year of college, especially at CU Boulder, it's like full of jam band kids and party bros. And I wanted to play music, I didn't really give a shit what it was. So oftentimes, I would just like go to a house party and like, I knew some kids from classes or whatever, and I went to, like, Fish and Grateful Dead. And I've always loved the Grateful Dead. Almost, like, all of their eras. I think they're a great band. Uh, so I was well-versed enough in that kind of thing to be able to jam with them. And, you know, I had a fun time doing it. Uh, it was, like, it got to the point where some of them were like, yo, join our band, blah, 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 all this stuff. It's like, it's really not my thing. I just want to play music. I want to be in a band one day, but definitely not like that. And also, <laughs> you guys are kind of lame. <laughs> You're not fun to be around. I'm just here to play guitar. Um, it's kind of hard so, to yeah, hear like three inches of blood and then go back to Grateful Dead mm. uh, at that age. There's something about crushing beer. Yeah, dude. And hearing that guy yeah. hit those pipes where you just got to gotta at least stay a little more metal uh, to some yeah. degree for yourself. Well, uh, it's mm -hmm. it's funny. You, you, I mean, you, you know... Um, you're talking about this period and your development as a musician. Something that I wanted to ask you about was a, um, uh, the band School Nights, uh, Nights with a K, oh, yeah. uh, that you recorded uh, some some work with. I thought it was really interesting and it showed a lot of musicality. Um, particularly, was it the I believe the last album was Lethargy. Lethargy, yeah, we were super into like math rock and that band, Terramellos for a second, uh, and just yeah the. That was a very difficult recording process and extremely <laughs> musical to the point where it was like too technical for its own good. Well, there, there was like um, a, a school nights. Okay, there was a ten-minute song a, on it. I mean, it's like you guys. It's not like a, it's not like an atmospheric doom band, but you got a ten-minute song that was pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. So we were also super into William Basinski at that time, and I was kind of like discovering the world of ambient music and experimental music and all that. But um, School Nights is actually, I'm glad you brought that up because that was a 
pivotal moment in my life as far as a touring musician. When I joined that band, um, I'd already known who they were through various, and this was like my second half of living in Boulder. I developed a circle of friends that were into relatively cool stuff and just still some of my closest friends. And I was hanging out at this house that had shows all the time from touring bands. And it was super legit. I mean, you know, it was your classic kind of like shitty punk house. Yeah. In the middle of a college town that housed bands from like all over America just doing their thing. So I saw, I was exposed to lots of different types of music at that place. And uh, before I even joined the band, I would watch the Golden Knights open for a lot. Of and um, eventually I met Michael Stein, the dude who started the band who I ended up being in Homebody with years later. Um, met him through a band I was in prior to School Nights called The Octus, which was like a, a surf rock band, total, uh, what's his name? The king of surf rock. Dick Dale. Dick Dale. Dick Dale, yeah. Totally that kind of thing. Super fast tremolo picking, but maybe with a bit more of like a quote-unquote punk edge. Okay. Put yeah. more distortion. Yeah, um, cool, man. It's yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. That band was actually really good. Too. Um, it's interesting that you're doing a surf rock band in the mountains. Yeah, That's yeah, fun. that was kind of the idea. <laughs> <laughs> the irony. Um, but yeah, anyway, so the dude that uh, started school nights with me, me and Ben ended up, or uh, octaves, me and Ben ended up joining school nights because they were initially just a two-piece drums and guitar. So we filled out the lineup, being four of us, classic band style. And that was the first band I ever went on tour with. So that really fully changed my life entirely. Um, and pretty much set the course for, from, from that day is literally where I would say why I'm in the place I'm in now. Like, wow. musically speaking, show-wise, yeah. It was pretty pivotal. So uh, that's where you made a decision that this was something you wanted to do and you were willing to sacrifice in order to be a touring musician. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, from the very first tour we did, which was a disaster, of course. Mm -hmm. But even even with all the insane stories that that tour comes with, I was like, I'm in 100%. Huh. I'm out of life. This is what I'm doing. I don't care what it is. As long as I'm with people that believe in the type of thing that we're doing, and we're on the road and we're doing it, that's it. Well, I mean, I, I I don't want to pry too much, but you say there's some insane stories about that tour. You got like a, a <laughs> yeah. What so, uh, um, uh, so we had an East Coast tour allegedly booked. I, I wasn't <laughs> too involved in the process of how all that worked. You know, I was just there, like kind of like I'll show up, I'll play, I'll show up for practice, we can do our thing. So the tour was from Colorado all the way to the East Coast and back. And we were supposed to have some shows with that band Cloud Nothings, which ended up becoming kind of a big deal. Um, total kind of like indie pop punk kind of thing. Not really my thing, but I was just like, all right, whatever. Shows with a band that exists that people know. Okay. Anyways, the day we start driving out to like uh, Nebraska, I believe, we find out that all of the shows going east have been canceled mm. until New York City. Mm. And we're already, like, at least halfway there. We're like, oh, my fucking God. And uh, we're just like, all right, well, we just got to get to New York to play these shows, I guess. You know what I mean? So we pretty much 
uh, took a ton of Adderall <laughs> and uh, Legend, allegedly. started driving. Yeah, allegedly. Uh, started driving straight to New York. And um, most of us passed out in the back seat. And I remember waking up and we were in line to go into Canada. We were like about to hit customs. Uh. And none of us had our passports. And we had tons of questionable items in the car. I'm not going to tell you what, but you can imagine. And we were like, oh, shit, why the hell are we like about to enter Canada? And that's because the fastest way to get to Buffalo, which is where we were headed, because we had a friend that lived there. We were going to stay there for a couple of nights. The fastest way to get there was through Canada right. from where we had ended up. And uh, <laughs> we, get, we all wake up. We're at the customs thing. We're like, hey, can we just turn around? We really don't want to go to Canada. None of us have passports. Uh, we're not trying to do this. And they were like, no, you have to go get searched, all this crazy shit. And, dude, I legitimately thought we were all going to jail. Like, none of the stuff we had, we hid very well. It was like, you know, we were young and fucking stupid. Just like all of this shit was just strewn about the car. Somehow, the customs officers did not find a single thing, which I can't even imagine to be real. Maybe they were just fucking with us. But um, they gave, they didn't find anything. And they were like, okay, here's a pass to be in Canada for the next 12 hours. Ha. Give uh, the other side, the part where you enter by Vermont, or not Vermont. Um, yeah, maybe it is. falls over there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That entrance. Just give them this piece of paper and they'll, they'll let you back into the state. And it was extremely surreal. So, yeah, we got into Canada without passports with a bunch of questionable items. And it was very bizarre. <laughs> All right, man. It's risky traveling with those Kinder eggs, you know. <laughs> you never know what's going to pop out of them. I've since learned from my mistakes. So. All right, man. Well, yeah, I don't want to spend too much time on on those days. So. Um, all right, so you, you float around. Uh, wow, you, that's, that's crazy. You go from New York City to Colorado. Uh, the the it doesn't work out with your girlfriend. You're floating around in a couple of different bands. You get your, your feet wet on, on on touring as a musician. Um, mm-hmm. I know I've read interviews with Blood Incantation before that talk a little bit about how Paul Riedel, former guest of the show, listeners can go back and check our episode with Paul from a while back. Um, he was already kind of doing his own thing with some projects, and you kind of bump heads with him, right, eventually? Yeah, there was a total chance meeting, actually. I was wearing an Iron Maiden t-shirt in Boulder, which at the time was an uncommon thing. Not a lot of dudes look like metalheads up there. Um, and I went to the pizza shop that he worked at. I had no idea who this dude was. And I ordered a slice from him, and he was like, dude. You look like you're into heavy metal. Are you into heavy metal? You look super excited. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. And on a napkin, he wrote down the names of like 10 bands. Uh, it was a band that he was in at the time, Velnius. And uh, one of his older projects, Leech. And yeah, listeners interested in that can go listen to his episode. But one of them was Blood Incantation and another one was Spectral Voice neither of which fully existed at that time you know they were, they were just ideas and i was like okay this is cool it's kind of crazy we talked for a second i got my slice and went to go hang out with my bud and i kind of forgot about it for a second and uh, later i ended up like pulling out the little piece of paper and i checked out velnius i was like oh shit this is like a legitimate band you know what i mean like a real fucking 
black metal folk, like evil kind of thing. I was like kind of intimidated by it. Like I'd never met anyone that was like fully touring in, in that kind of thing and really like releasing LPs and being, you know, committed to it in that sense because I'd just been touring and we put out tapes and it was, it was never like, never sent like, any like real attention to it. It was like, you know, people here and there that liked it or at a show would buy our stuff, but no one was like going online to check out our shit. And uh, that's that's how I met him. And I ended up not seeing him for a while after that until I ran into him at a party at my buddy Tom Johnson's house. Also totally randomly. Now, Tom Johnson is important to this story because he used to play in a band in Boulder called Orm, which was Boulder's pretty much only real doom band, like evil style doom. And... Uh, he was also another band that I ended up joining a little later called Stillborn Font, which is a black metal band with him and my buddy Tyler. And uh, the reason I know Tom Johnson is because his other other band, the Gucci Boys, it's a ridiculous band name <laughs> I know, uh, used to play shows with school nights in the office all the time. And they were a total, like, kind of Ramones, shithead style punk. They were great. Uh, but we ended up playing a lot of shows together. Tom Johnson even actually filled in on bass for school nights a few times. And that's how that connection ended up happening. Now, Tom Johnson was having a party at his old, old, old girlfriend's house ex from many years ago. And he, he had known Paul and some of the other dudes from Delnius. So he invited them through like the other half of the stuff that he was into. And that's, the night I would say I really met Paul for the first time because we got to hang out and we started talking about bands like Death and our mutual love for guitar harmonies, like Iron Maiden harmonies and everything sick about heavy metal guitar. And that's when he brought up Blood Incantation again. He was like, dude, do you want to do this? Dude, we're looking for a guitar player. At that time, it was just him and Isaac. I was like, dude, absolutely. This is what the calling I've been waiting for for all of these years leading up to this moment. And that's how that happened. Okay, um, and I, I have heard, I read, I believe, in an interview uh, that somebody, I, you know, I don't know if this is the official um, uh, statement by the band, but somebody kind of referred to the first two demos as uh, almost rehearsals. Um, oh, uh, man. Uh, well, in the sense that the maybe the sound wasn't complete until interdimensional extinction. So... The, the story between those early tapes, okay, so it, when we started practicing, we were like really got to it after I'd like, I met Isaac and we were all like, yeah, we're down to do this thing. Um, man, those days are so crazy. We, we practiced in this ridiculous practice space that was full of broken gear and insane shit and it was like the middle of this like craghead neighborhood. It was ridiculous. We would be practicing also at like four in the morning after all of us got off work and just had to make all this insane shit happen just to be there for like a couple hours to do it. But um, Paul is a very determined human being, as yes. I'm sure anyone who's come into contact with him knows. Yeah. And uh, he, the second we started playing, after we learned all the riffs in a row or whatever, figured out something, he would just start recording no matter what. You know, let's play, let's play. I'm, I'm just going to record it, you know, don't worry, it'll be fine. This is for us to listen to. And so we had all these recordings of us practicing. It's literally just practice. And his whole MO was to find a bass player. And, you know, we all wanted that too. But he loves making tapes. 
So he made tapes of all these rehearsals in order for him to take on tour with Felnius to see if like people were interested in joining this thing as a bass player. Or to be like, hey, do you know anyone or whatever. So it's like pretty much instead of a Craigslist ad, he made tapes of our practices. And those tapes ended up being resold from the people who bought them however many years ago being like oh this is a demo you know because he also <laughs> made them look really good he's, really, he's got the eye yeah. for design you know what i mean so he also made it look really good to the point where it was believable enough to be a demo but it really is most of those tracks if not all of them are it's us playing those songs for the first time ever okay so th- that's well that's interesting from a collector and a fan standpoint too um we won't go into what Discogs does uh, to things like that, oh, yeah. but but yeah, yeah, but uh, but it, it's still it's, uh, it's kind of like for the band lore or however you want to say it, it's interesting, um, and you know around the same time too, uh, Spectral. You, so I mean, I, I guess it, is it safe to say that you joined Spectral Voice around the same time you joined Blood Incantation? Um, let me let me try to remember. I'm, I believe I was in. I actually jammed with Spectral Voice first mm-hmm. that was more of a put together band before blood and contention was because we had a full lineup jeff was already on bass whereas blood and contention was still just two guitar drums and spectral voice was making more headway as a band because mm-hmm. they paul and eli had already written the demo they were just looking to fill out their lineup for people to play it so the songs were actually already written whereas blood and contention i joined and there were some ideas but then we were like continuously writing for interdimensional extinction after i had joined so it's roughly around the same time but i think spectral slightly predates me joining the the whole crew of those guys when did you realize that blood incantation had a trajectory um uh that was uh that was a little different from Spectral Voice and a lot of the other projects you guys have been involved in. Because, you know, obviously we all realize Blood Incantation has risen to a certain level of prominence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it definitely took a second because to me, that kind of thing, I guess, revolved around, you know, the release of an LP or like a legitimate tour, which Spectral did first. That that Spectral Voice was the first, like, as far as a band that I'm fully in as a member, that was the first metal, like, real tour I did. I did one as a fill-in for Wayfair, and I did one with Eli when we were in Necrophil, for sure. But those, they weren't, like, that was, like, my bands, you know what I mean? That I was invested in spiritually and fully. So Spectral Voice was the first one. And I was like, oh, shit, this is awesome. And the shows were great. We played with like, the Spirit. And it was for the the release of Necrotic Doom. The tape had like just come out a month before. And even though I didn't play on it, I was like, you know, I still felt like I was part of the thing because we were bringing it live. We were the people that knew how to play the riffs and this whole thing. And that was the first legitimate, like, real, real metal tour I felt like I was a part of. I'm not trying to knock the other two that I did. They were great, of course. But I did... I, like my spirit wasn't fully in it and I only realized that a while after um, so I thought Spectral honestly was making way more headway especially because all of the stuff with Interdimensional Extinction that's a whole other crazy story in terms of like how that ended up being mixed and it took forever um, 
we recorded that and I left on a trip to South America for three months. And so while I was there, we were waiting for Damon from Stargazer and Mournful Congregation and a bunch of other bands to add his bass parts to it because he was going to be the session bass player for mm-hmm. instrumental, which did end up happening. But, dude, the way that was recorded, the tracks were all fucked up, and, and it's a whole other crazy story. So I really thought Spectral was making way more headway. But after Interdimensional was released, Building Contagion was already working on Starspawn. And on our first tour, we were already playing Starspawn songs. So the second Building Contagion tour was the second real metal tour where my spirit was fully in it, like the same kind of thing as they explained with Spectral. And, uh, you know, both bands were still extremely underground at that point. So really, to answer your question, when Starspawn came out, I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. That and that kind of set the trajectory for the path that we're on now. And uh, I mean, yeah, it took Spectral a while longer to record a full length. And by that point, each of us understood our different roles within each separate band. But it, it was a... VI was making like way more headway over Spectral. Not to say it's a competition between the two, you know, because three of us are in the same band. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, after a little while, maybe like a couple months, two, three months after Star, Star Spawn had come out and we did our Star Spawn tour, which I had booked, and that was the first tour I fully booked by myself. That's when I realized the power of that record, and it was it felt pretty cool. <laughs> Okay, and uh, at that point, well, what I want to ask too is that, um, uh, you know, we, we recently had uh, Dave Greger of Mortis Scold on the show, and something uh, I noticed about his discography is that I believe it's the first four albums over the 90s have the exact same lineup. And it's a very old school thing to have the exact same lineup and have no changes like that, which is something you guys have maintained for a while now since you found Jeff on bass. It's been Jeff, yourself, uh, Paul, and Isaac, right? Yeah. And in this day... Uh, I think that's a pretty... I think it's a crucial thing, honestly. Yeah, that's something I want. I didn't want to breeze over in this interview because, like I said, I only brought up the Mortiscold thing because... Um, uh, you, you know, he he related it recently in a, in a recent episode about how that was an old school mentality, kind of an all for one, one for all type of thing, and this and that. And I wanted to ask you, uh, like in this day and age, it's extremely common, and it's not as uh, like maybe a unusual a thing or weird a thing that you would lift an eyebrow at for a band to go on the road with session members, live musicians, replacement, you know, the whole thing. Um, that's almost how most bands can function nowadays in the underground death metal community. Could you tell us a little bit about um, having that solid lineup that never changes? Have you guys ever used session members for a performance of any kind? No, neither band has, and I, I really don't think that will ever happen because both bands, the whole thing is about doing it that way. And if that is an old-school mentality, which is kind of news to me, honestly because I think the, the person there, even if they're playing Risk, they didn't write, and they have been for years, they're doing it in a specific way that cemented itself as part of the sound of the band. Um, I, Yeah, I mean, the, the, it's as simple as that. Like The reason that's the case is because we're interested in being a band the way bands were. 
And the way bands were, in my opinion, was the sickest way possible, dude. I mean, look at the 70s. Yeah, I mean, tons of session musicians even existed then, for sure, too. But, like, a lot of the greatest bands, in my opinion, have had the same lineup for, like, you know, 20-plus years. Mm. Yeah, well, I, I I can agree with that sentiment. Um, I'm in some projects where we switch out and, and do what we have to do with session members. Sometimes it's a necessity, but I also believe it depends, like you said, on the na- on the nature of the project. Because I have some bands where mm-hmm. that wouldn't work, and there's even some bands where certain members wouldn't. Work. It's just a, it's like a it's a chemistry thing, and it's different for every band. So I wanted to ask you, like, what specifically? Do you feel that 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 over over the years, what does that build up? What does that add to the band that uh, you nec- couldn't necessarily get if you were swapping out a bassist and having a session drummer here and there to, just to go on tours and stuff? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, yeah, not not to knock any band that needs to do that. Of course, I fully understand. And dude, when we did that artificial brain tour, you guys blew my mind with having. Dan fly in and all of a sudden play some shows and Oleg was playing other shows and John was playing other shows. Like, oh my God, I need to know a band could exist like this. That's amazing. <laughs> um, but as far as, as our crew goes, I mean, you know, you build a certain level of friendship, obviously, which I think comes through in the music and a level of sincerity in performing it. And on top of that, like, we've all experienced every tour each band has been on, you know, the guys that have been there. And even though the one super long one where both bands did it in Europe, I mean, that was just like one of the most insane crew experiences possible. To, to, for the music we play specifically, to switch another person out, like even if we didn't announce it, you know what I mean? If we released a new record and someone wasn't on it, I feel like people would be able to tell mm. without us even saying it. Well, I um, I understand that, and also Paul Paul spoke a little bit about that that tour, and what a tremendous grind that was for you guys. Um, maybe real, oh, maybe man, it was insane. yeah, maybe quickly. Could you revisit that a little bit? Maybe just like one of your most grueling experiences from that tour that you can recollect. I don't know. Well, that that tour for me specifically was a very difficult time in my life, and. Uh, the, the biggest aspect of it is um, I was in a very horrible relationship and I was into some stuff that was not good for my body and I was in a place where I was like not necessarily in good standing with the rest of the guys either but we still had an interesting happen and you know everything has been great since of course but uh, it is an extremely personal story but I'm willing to share it because it's important to go through this stuff and you know I think people need to know about these kinds of things happening especially while on the road um, I was dating this girl who lived in Italy and we were in kind of a long distance relationship for on and off for about a year at that point, maybe a little longer. Um, we weren't very good for each other. Um, when we got to, I believe Milan, when we played there, she was supposed to come and, uh, instead of going to the show, when I get Wi-Fi, when we get to the venue, I get a picture of her covered in blood in her uh, brother's bathtub because she tried to kill herself and she was like blaming it on me. She's like, this is your fault, blah, blah, blah. You don't have enough time for me, all this crazy stuff. And so I was pretty traumatized by that. And like right after I got that photo, I had to be like, okay, 
and I'll have to play two sets with with two separate bands at this show with this weight of like a person that I've been with for however long blaming me for her trying to kill herself. So it was a very dark moment and the rest of the tour was tinted by that and uh, you know, I got through it as people do. But so yeah, personally that, that tour on top of having to play two sets a night for about a month was very uh, mentally strenuous for me. That's deep, man. That's that's a lot, man. Uh, we appreciate you sharing that. Um, that's uh, yeah, it's a lot to go through on the road, man. Um, that's especially when you have yeah, when you have like this other focus and you have a commitment yeah. to this thing and, and you know other people and it was it definitely taught me some very important life lessons very fast mm. and that's why I'm willing to talk about it because it's it's something that I look back upon. You know, every so often, not every day in my life, but, you know, once a year. And it's just, it's a good to reflect on things like that, like trauma in your life, especially as a touring musician to be like, okay, well, what led to this event? How can this never happen again? Hmm. Et cetera. Yeah, man. Um, wow. So, I, I mean, I assume she's, uh, she, she uh, survived? She's okay. She's, oh, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. she's okay. All right, and you you pulled through. You you survived the tour yourself, and you and you lived to tell the tale, man. We appreciate you sharing it with us. Yeah. Um, yeah you know, these are the type of you know. Obviously, that's a very specific situation, but everybody goes through different experiences in their life, man. And sometimes it's when yeah. you hear it when you hear it coming from um, the type of guests we have on the podcast, people whose music we listen to, it's, it makes it more relatable, man. So we appreciate your uh, candor. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. Also, for like music people who is don't extremely tour, cathartic. You know, yeah, for people who like don't tour and stuff like that, if you go and see a show and someone, you know, mm. one of your like a dude in your favorite band is not exactly in a talkative mood, don't oh, take man. it personally. Mm-hmm. You know, who knows what the fuck's going on? Yeah, you know, tour is not Absolutely, always yeah. glamorous. Sure. You know, uh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard also. I've heard. Yeah, you try uh, to put on a face. You know, I was people gonna say, do the best they can. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard all sorts of different stories about why somebody might have been a little grouchy at the merch table or something, or you know, there's all there's all different things that happen when you're on the road, man. But um, but yeah, you know, I, moving on, we appreciate you sharing that, and um, yeah, of course, uh, you know. So, like I was saying, that was something I wanted to get into is that that experience, like you know, you guys, like I said before, Blood Incantation has obviously risen to a certain level of prominence um, within the death metal scene and the metal scene, especially the, the last few years, and with your latest album, Hidden History of the Human Race. Uh, and would like would you attribute like well like here? Let me phrase it this way: We talked a little bit before about how be- bands will take on session players just to get a tour done and things like that. Have has it has it been harder in some sense for you guys? Because ha- like, have you turned down tours? Have you turned down different things because? Uh, one or two members couldn't do it, or is it, or is it strengthened because you actually found a group of four guys that are like all for it every time there's an offer? Yeah, I mean it's the latter. We're pretty much all for it if it makes sense. Mm. We've we've like fully committed ourselves to this full time at this point, and yeah. quite a while ago, honestly, we we were just trying to do the most touring with the most amount of bands and just hit it as hard as we possibly could old school style that's you know to but to me like uh, that always just made sense because yeah growing up listening to all the bands we talked about earlier you'd look at their tours man and be like three months 
mm-hmm. plus, and they've had the same lineup for however long. So to me, it was just like par for the course. It's like, all right, this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. We're doing it the old school way. We record live, record the tape, all into this stuff. So we're all in. And I guess that would also explain why you guys are involved in so many different projects together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, there, there's geographical reasons for that, too. Denver only has so much to offer in terms of people into cool things and musicianship and all that. So it gets incestuous. <laughs> yeah, Denver. They all claim they're into cool things, <laughs> but we know better. <laughs> <laughs> Every city has it. <laughs> Uh, well, so, you know, I brought up your uh, Hidden History of the Human Race album, uh, Century Media Records, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I, I want to... Uh, that album, obviously, was very critically acclaimed. It was a big look for you guys. Like, you know, I don't want to sit... You know, I don't want to, ma- you know, make it awkward or whatever and, and sit here and go, dude, that jerk no, off all over the album, whatever. But yeah, great album. <laughs> big <laughs> look for it. you guys. Uh, could you tell us a little bit, like, when we interviewed Paul, I believe it was kind of like, was that, it was right before the album was about to come out, and yeah. he talked about some of the processes of recording and the, what you guys went through with the an, all analog and that sort of thing. Um, could you take us through, uh, maybe like, j- just like in, in your, what you remember about the album dropping, was there, was there a feeling that you guys had a hand grenade in your hands and was ready to go off, or was there some hesitancy, like, will people get this? Uh, yeah, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to sound cocky or anything <laughs> like that. I, I, I was trying not to set up for that. I was trying to play it down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we listen to our own music a lot. And I think as a, every artist has a different process. But to me, I find that's empowering. And, you know, I, I hear different things in it every time, whether it be demos from what we're about to record or even a record we just recorded, even after it came out. Like, I just listened to Star Spun literally yesterday, you know? And I was like, oh, shit, I'm hearing something new in this that I haven't heard in a while. It's crazy. Um, so, yes, we were super stoked on it, and we knew the power it had on top of how much we were able to achieve from Star Spawn alone. You know what I mean? So we knew we weren't making a Star Spawn Part 2. We knew it was something that expanded on all the ideas we were most excited about in Spawn. So all of us were like, yeah, this is going to be good. And uh, it was also coming out while we were on tour with Immolation, after we had already toured Cannibal Corpse and Morbid Angel. So we were mm-hmm. just, uh, you know, kind of like, even if people hate it, they're going to be in the minority. Like, it's, good, a, it's a good pairings. Good, good promo. Yeah, good, good, uh, good, good, good yeah. company. Good company to keep. Was that Cannibal Corpse <laughs> yeah. Morbid Angel tour and Necrot? Was that? The, uh, would you say those were the biggest names that you um, uh, uh, supported on tour at, to that point? Oh, absolutely, man. That was as far as a straight up tour goes. Those were like consecutively the biggest venues we've ever played, and it was awesome. Like we we did some Euro Fest in support of Star Spawn a few years after he came out, including Party Sun and Brutal Assault, which I think today are the biggest, like, highest attending shows we've played, but that's a festival, it's a little bit different. Um, but as far as a tour goes and playing big-ass venues every night, that was by far the biggest. And, yeah, thank you to everyone that made that happen. It was amazing. Okay, and I ask that, too, because people sometimes, you know, people might... 
not realize the amount of um, grueling touring that you guys underwent. Uh, not to say that those tours were luxurious, I'm sure, either. That, that, you know, the traveling on those no, tours as, as a supporting act. But people might not... You know, pe- not people, at all. People sometimes have very disconnected views of what it's like for a touring death metal musician, I've, I've found out. Um, but it's... It, yeah, I'm sure it's not luxurious. <laughs> but people also don't realize some of the more grueling underground touring you guys did. Like you said, you hit it hard three months at a time and this and that. That European mm-hmm. tour that we talked about earlier. Um, like... I guess what I'm, what I'm what I'm getting at here is, do you feel like with, with signing with Century Media, which is obviously a very big established label, it's a big step for an artist. Um, do you feel like you you could have garnered that interest from that big support of that label without all that grueling touring, or was that a key part of it? I think it was a key part of it, and I think it's. It's like the most honest work a band could do to get to any place that they deserve to be. Okay, I'm because I'm, it's that is that that is like the nine to five job of a musician in a band, in my opinion, is to record and go on tour and to be like, hey, we can also do this live. You like the record? It sounds good. Come see the show. It might sound even better. Hmm. Okay, man, and I, I'm being a little facetious because it's obvious that, that it, it's obvious that that's a big part of it is the amount of touring you guys did and honing the live sound. But the, you know, the reason is because it comes up from time to time. I know some uh, well-intentioned, good guys in the underground community, but they mm-hmm. have a band that they've been plugging away at for years, and it's not going the way they want, and they 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 perceive some amount of like luck. I guess, or some amount of unfairness in yeah. band, bands that do make make bigger accomplishments or get onto bigger platforms. And something I've to, I've tried to tell people, or even tell people in um, maybe my own bands when I was younger and older bands I was in, was you know just because you wrote a song that you objectively think is good doesn't mean you deserve to support Morbid Angel next time they come to town. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. and and the band that might be up there supporting the you know the big touring act just because they're up there and you don't agree you know that they should be like a, a lot of it comes down to work and some people I guess there can just be an entitled attitude when people feel like they should be playing better shows and doing more people sometimes don't realize the amount of money they might have to put in and lose the first few years and things like that too you know one hundred percent agreed yeah dude I mean and that's the thing is like all of us prior to even being Blood Incantation or Spectral Voice, had played in countless bands that had, that had gone on tour. That's saw various levels of success, mostly not. Mm. And, you know, I've spent so much of my own money and sacrificed so much of my life to do this thing, just, to, you know, because A, to me, it's the ultimate freedom. It's fun. And I love doing it. But B, I was like what else am I going to do? This is the thing. Like if, if it's what you want to do, you'll sacrifice anything to do it. And if you do that long enough, someone will eventually pay attention to something you do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I spent a lot of time being like, shit, this sucks. What am I even doing with my life? Like I'm broke. No one cares about my band. No one will release our record. You know, the, earlier bands I was in would like, we would like shop our records through emails to all these labels. We're constantly getting denied constantly we're like whatever we'll put out the tape ourselves record another one see what happens next time just keep going see what happens when next time. play these shows and you know yeah it, it is work and th- there's a whole conversation to be had about artistic integrity versus like work and the amount of time you put into it but 
I don't really know where I stand on that because I feel like you, to be a true artist, you do have to have numerous failures underneath your belt. Hmm. That that right there is a hard pill to swallow, but but a hundred percent true. That's good, man. Um, you do have to have failures under your belt. Not even art, anybody to do to be great at anything, yeah. or to make any yeah. kind of accomplishment, you got to fail. I mean, that's just the nature of life, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so uh, to 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 kind of maybe tone it down on a lighter note. While we're on this topic, I I gotta bring up blood incantation haters on the internet and trolls. That's a th- <laughs> oh, I mean, man. it's a thing. I was just talking to the guys about this. It, it's oh, got yeah. it's got to be an endless the source rap of amusement. Hit track. Yeah, it is, it is. and you know, putting energy into your hater. You know, people always say like, "There's some like ice team going around right now, being like, I don't put energy into these people because I'm focused on myself, making myself better. And the more energy you put into these people, the more energy you give them." Which I generally agree with, but also, it's really fun <laughs> to talk shit sometimes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's I, there's some that are funny. I don't want to give any of them any any um, uh, publicity, but I, you know, I, I I was watching a couple of things and looking at a couple of things today, and it's I mean, it's just funny, and it's kind of like there's no such thing as bad publicity or whatever. You know what I mean? There, but there was one where I was watching this guy did this long. I don't want to say the format, but he went on for a while trying to explain oh, why Blood yeah, Incantation is a bad band. Like just like yeah, I've, I've seen this. Video. There's, there's you know what? And for that video, it's especially crazy because sometimes every somehow every time he freeze frames, it's always on me. It's <laughs> like it's just like the live show is just like always stops on me playing. I, I know he's intended that way. So there, there, there's even a part where he says something about like how his I don't want to know what his band, but he says his band does things better. It's just, it, it was like really oh it was it, yeah it was delusional. But the part I liked that the part that he factually I didn't watch the whole thing. I kind of scanned it, but one part that yeah. he factually got wrong that I almost I if I was petty enough I would have left a comment. But he he accused you guys of stealing the uh, album art. For uh, multiple albums, but particularly for uh, the uh, hidden history of the human race, which is which is factually Dude, that, incorrect. You, you guys got total permission for that. Exactly, and there's actually, um, if you look on the Wikipedia of our band, there's a whole subsect of the argument that happened about the cover art when we announced it. That's how ridiculous it is. <laughs> Uh, like well, all, the hubbub that it caused, it is insane. Look that up right now. Yeah, or, I didn't. I didn't. I, you know, usually Metallum and Discogs are my go-to research. I don't do a lot of Wikipedia for the mm-hmm. show. But well, I also wanted to bring up actually, so a band that did steal it was the the Canadian death metal band Agony, right? On their, uh, yeah. uh, you guys. Yeah, have, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you guys have heard all about it, right? You know. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. So it's I, nonstop. To this day, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I I didn't think it would still be going on. I apologize then if, if it's a sore subject. No, no, no. It's it's a source of entertainment, honestly. Well, that, I I also oh, I thought yeah. maybe just to clear it up once and for all for any any listeners who might not realize the the facts of the situation, could you just go through um how, how you guys came to use that artwork and and the and, and the, and the so, source that approved for you to use it? Yeah. So. This dates back to interdimensional extinction. So we had found out about Bruce Pennington, amazing sci-fi artist, had done covers for numerous, countless books in the 70s. And uh, we found the picture, you know, with Saturn and the, the skull and bone rings. 
which is super captivating. They're like, we need this as the cover of our record. Let's let's hit up this guy or his estate and see what they say. And in 2012, I believe Paul messaged him. We found his email, spoke directly to him, and he was all for it. He's like, yeah, go for it, use it. I believe he actually may not have even charged us any money for it. And if it was, it was something like 50 bucks. Wow. He was just stoked. He was just like, yeah, this is cool, man. Go ahead, go for it. And Paul was like, great. I mean, when it comes out, we'll send you some records. And we sent him some stuff. You know, he doesn't doesn't really care about the music or whatever. But he's like, cool, thank you for these items. So we had already established a relationship. Fully licensed, 100% on board. Um, When we were doing Starspawn, we used Don Dixon, different artist. But uh, at that time, we were already looking. We had already been super well-versed with Bruce Pennington's art. Some of us had books by him, you know, we were just constantly looking at the stuff just to see. So we had the idea for the Nathaniel artwork. Um, it's called Nathaniel Space and Time, I believe. It was the cover of a book initially. Um, we knew that was like the ultimate blood incantation image for the next record, post Star Spawn. So we already had it in our heads. And uh, we asked him about it and uh, I, I do believe we sent him a bit more money for that one, but he sent us the high-resolution files. Again, 100% down, super stoked. Go for it. Please use it. Um, we also already knew that it was used by Agony. Had done our research. It's also used by this like jazz fusion thing called hypermodern jazz. Um so it's been used twice before, but both of those images have been taken essentially illegally. You know, he doesn't care if I do anything about it. But in Agony's case, if you look at the credits, it says that the vocalist had painted that. So they fully lied about it on top of that. Uh, to- oh, Tom, it's we got to like, put the tuba fill. They crop it. Yeah, maybe more than that. <laughs> Damn. They crop it. They make it look like shit. Uh, the hypermodern jazz one is, I, I don't know the full on details behind that, but also not a super high quality image. I've never seen the record in person. It's so, almost, you know, off discards. It's not super high quality. So, as uh, far as this is concerned, we are the only band that has had the full license permission of the guy who painted the paint to use it with the highest quality file that he could give us. Hmm. Okay. So all these people being like, oh, but Agony, Agony, Agony. No one even fucking knew about Agony until Agony Street. All of a sudden, you're going to come at me with fucking, oh, but did you, if you ever listen to Agony? Yeah, oh, a band from Canada like 20 years ago that released a tape. You didn't fucking know about this, dude. Well, I was, okay, man. I was willing to suspend my, dis- whatever you call that. I was I was willing to play <laughs> devil's <laughs> advocate. Yeah, yeah. And just say Agony is just another band that used it. Maybe they found the book or whatever. But the, the idea that the, the maybe the singer cropped it in Photoshop. But the idea that he's credited as painting it—that's very suspect. Uh, that's weird. All right. So yeah, they, they're, he's credited as the the yeah purveyor of the art. You know? What an amazing <laughs> artist! Whatever it is that he did. All right. All right. <laughs> he, yeah, he probably cropped it. All right. And like it was in like Microsoft Paint or something. Um, 
yeah, I don't know. All right. I'm sure so, those dudes are fine. I don't really care, but it's not. It's just not the truth. <laughs> we got that out of the way, and we kind of like that was my little segue to discuss the album art and that, and that kind of you know part of it a little bit. Um, Paul got very deep the last time, and you know, like you said, Paul's an intense guy. Uh, he, he, you know, when it comes to the the lyrics and the the whole direction of Blood Incantation, the lore of Blood Incantation, so to speak. Uh, could you tell us a little what's like what's your your input on that and are these ideas that uh, were part of your life and something you were interested in particularly before blood incantation or is it something that kind of blood incantation opened up to you um, so I, I read be here now when I was in high school and I was deeply interested in philosophy especially Eastern philosophy and Eastern music like Ravi Shankar and all sorts of, I mean, I also, dude, I took a lot of psychedelics in high school. <laughs> so Allegedly. The whole world at Blood and Can- allegedly. Um, the whole world at Blood and Condition encompasses the ideas are not new to any of us because we're of the same ilk, which is why our band works the way it does. We, we fully believe the spiritual concept that the band is about and have had numerous life experiences without knowing each other that kind of confirm the things we believe in. So, in a sense, we all came into it knowing a certain thing, but the more we talk to one another about the idea of the band, we all learn more about it. And, yeah, I definitely was opened up to some uh, other reference points talking to Paul and Isaac about it for sure. But generally speaking, we were all on the same spiritual playing field. Mm. If you want to call it that. Could, could I ask this respectfully, if if you want to talk about it, what role have psychedelics played uh, in this in your camp of musicians uh, throughout the years that are in Blood Incantation and Spectral Voice? Uh, I mean, the biggest thing with discussing this kind of stuff to me is the idea of ego death mm. and to experience yourself outside of yourself, and that is like. I think I think a lot of people that lack empathy have never experienced this feeling because your day-to-day life revolved around you, yourself, what you're doing. Like, I need to do this when I wake up. I need to do this. I need to do this. In a certain state of mind, you realize there's a lot of hubbub about what you need to do all the time. But the only person that, that's putting that pressure on you is yourself. And in a heightened level of awareness, I, I feel like you, and you can also, I don't know if you guys have gone to float tanks or like sensory deprivation chambers, but that's a really popular thing that's been happening, especially in Denver. And I think all over the country at this point. Yeah, I've seen those. They look kind of appealing, but I'm afraid yeah. of myself. Mm. You, that's the whole thing. You know, yeah. it, it is. It's like a, it's a really big thing for a person to go to. Because what you do is essentially you sit down with yourself and you deal with yourself. It's like you're your own therapist at that point. Which I can see not being appealing to some people that have very deep traumatic trauma. You know, not everyone can deal with things. Which is why therapists exist. It's a great alternative. But, um, yeah, I digress. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I kind of lost myself. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that... Um, the ego death thing is huge because you realize a lot of the things outside of yourself 
are impacting you constantly to the point where you like close yourself off from new experiences, whether it be socially, musically, artistically, you know, reading a book or going to the gym or whatever it is, you're stuck in your like daily grind. And to form new habits, I feel like you have to let go of these things that are constantly forcing you to do your daily routine. Hmm. So, I mean, because when I, when I ask that question and when people might think about the idea of psychedelics in, um, in your, you know, a band, it, it sounds like maybe, like, you know, people might think, oh, well, that influences the way you write songs or the way you, the way you actually play a guitar or whatever or the album artwork. It sounds like it influences more the philosophy towards life that allows you guys to work so hard as touring musicians and sacrifice so much of a quote-unquote normal life. Would that be fair to say? Uh, that would be fair to say. And as far as creating music, uh, I, the the psychedelic aspect of it doesn't physically lead you to play an instrument differently, specifically band mm-hmm. speaking, right? It's not going to be like, oh, now I found this weird way of playing guitar or I found these new notes. No. I've played every note on the guitar sober and super high, you know? But it's the way you think about your life and the context of what's happening that leads you to be able to create something new, especially when you're stuck within a construct. And for death metal specifically, you know, all of these, like, you know, cult underground dudes are being like, no, it's only old school if it's this way, or it's only progressive if it's this way, it's only tech if it's this way. But the idea of breaking those shackles is literally only possible in a different type of mindset. And that different type of mindset will lead you to create something that can maybe unify all those different factions that may not agree with one another. And the, the idea is what creates the physical aspect of it. Mm. Interesting, man. All right, so that got to a different place than I expected it to, but I'm, I'm glad we, we went there, man. That's interesting, man. So it's, it's more, it really alters the way you approach the music more than the way you write the music, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely, and the way you listen to music, and the way you understand like how it works, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want to be a bummer. Uh, I don't want to bring things mm-hmm. down, but, <laughs> but we got to be real. I mean, the last year and several months has been a bummer for someone who has made their way as a touring musician for several years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah, I, especially at the places we were going and all the plans we had. Man, it's definitely, definitely been tough. Uh, of of course, man, and I, you know I don't want to bring the conversation down, but you know, like my, you know, not that I'm I was touring at a at a rate you guys were, but you know, I it, just all of us who miss just even attending shows, whether mm-hmm. or not we perform them or not, uh, oh. and that part of the underground community. I just want to talk to you guys because you guys have always had a very uh, kind of down to earth, um, humble, and positive mindset. Every time I, I deal with you. Maybe tell me about what you guys have been doing to deal with the situation, and um, uh, you know how you how you've been managing it. Um, initially, it was so when everything was going down. Not this last March, but the one before. Uh, Spectral Voice was in Mexico, playing that Total Death over Mexico fest, mm-hmm. and COVID had gotten to the states. You know, and we were like a little bit concerned, but. We got to Mexico and it was fine, but all of the European bands couldn't make it because all of their flights back home were through America. And that's like literally the day we got to Mexico is when America was like, okay, no Europeans or no whatever. Uh, no one's allowed in or out. Or no one's allowed in 
from other countries. So they couldn't catch their flights home. So they all had to drop. And that's when we were like, oh, that's kind of crazy. What's going to happen to us? We're in Mexico. We're supposed to be here for two weeks. Everything's kind of changing day by day. I don't really know what's going on. And we were supposed to be there for uh, a tour. But uh, what ended up happening is we just played the fasting up super freaked out because everyone at home was like, hey, you guys really need to come home. That's when all the toilet paper stuff was happening. It was completely ridiculous. But, you know, being in a foreign country while that's happening, we were like, pretty concerned because in Mexico, it was like life is normal. Then you're reading the news every day and it's like the end of the world is happening. Um, so we did leave Mexico early. And... Uh, I remember when we landed in Denver, I was like, what is going to happen to us? I thought dudes in hazmat suits were going to come take us and poke us and prod us and leave us in like little hospital rooms for two weeks. But it was totally fine. There was no one at the airport. We went home and everyone just stayed home for like, you know, however long. Anyway, all that being said is that it was a very uh, out of nowhere kind of shock that happened immediately that canceled all of our plans for the foreseeable future even until like now we're still dealing with this as many bands are with postponements cancellations whatever um so it, it took a second to set in fully because for bi we had so many like huge plans and the mental process is being like we, we'd only played two shows for Hidden History after it had come out. Mm. Those two shows in New York City when you guys played with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we were like, oh my God, like, is this real, really? Like for the next year? Like the idea of even a year was insane to me. And at this point, it's been longer, so I've dealt with it. But we were just like, we just put in all of this work and how all of this is just disappearing. Like, it's all just going away and we were just like, oh, of course, of course this has to happen now. You know, we made jokes to make ourselves feel better being like, oh, our record is too powerful. They had to step in and like, Tough. they had to initiate the virus because we were spreading a message that was too deep and too real for people to know. That. You know, stuff like that. Which I, I still kind of believe. I, yeah, but, I, I don't know if that's a joke, to, especially not to Paul, but, yeah, but go on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. I gotta say it in jest. Part of me definitely believes it. Um, so yeah, I mean, it took a second for it to set in. Uh, there were ups and downs in terms of like you know mental health and financial standing, but we we already had different recording plans in place. So really, we, we started to see the silver lining of the situation fairly quickly, and. Uh, uh, you know, we're we're going to the studio this Friday to record our Ambient EP, and that would not have been possible if the last year plus didn't happen. Which is that's something good that came out. That I, you know, we also released tons of different solo material and written a bunch of stuff for Spectral Voice that we're still working on. So you know, you got to see the silver lining in the situation. But we are definitely still still dealing with the headache of many postponed tours. Personally speaking, we were supposed to do this tour with Wolves in the Throne Room in Europe, in Belwich, and I was really stoked. I was gonna be on a bus. I've never been on a bus tour before, so I was really excited, especially in Europe. So that was a cool step up to be able to experience that kind of thing. And that's now been postponed three times. Um, 
so we'll it's it's still in the, I, I can't reveal too much about it but it's, it's still in the process to figure it out um so that's still definitely a bummer and you know we, we've got some stuff announced and we're working on things but moving forward in this environment there's always going to be something in the back of our heads that's ready for it to just not happen you know mm-hmm. and that's just unfortunately the realistic situation and it's it sounds a bit depressing to be like announcing something but like also know that at any second be like oh nope just another cancellation but also being realistic about the situation doesn't let you down as much if that makes sense like yeah, the, yeah. there's no real way to navigate it that's gonna be fully positive everything's okay 100 percent of the time don't worry we're still gonna do this next time you know that's just not well, that, that's what I've been saying so, to people is that I'm not, I'm not, it's not that I'm negative. It's not, th- not that I want things to get canceled. I just don't want to get my yeah. hopes up too high. You know what I mean? Exactly. I want to be realistic exactly. about it, you know? And the intent, the entertainment industry as a whole is, is in a very weird place with this whole thing, you know? And it, it took, so last Thanksgiving, I was supposed to go see my family and, uh, a lot of my family, my family's friends, like some of our oldest, closest friends, they can work remotely from home working for tech companies like Google or like even my mom, who's a doctor, was still able to make stuff happen. Um, they didn't understand why I couldn't make it to Thanksgiving because I had responsibilities. We had to film the, the, the thing for Adult Swim for their online festival, right? Mm-hmm. And we were taking this thing pretty seriously, you know? We were like, not coming into contact with other people, getting tested all the time. Uh, Paul's fiance got COVID, so they were like extra insane about it, which makes sense. Uh, none, you know, none of us wanted to get sick. None of us wanted to do the wrong thing that would make this situation go on for long. We had a moral duty to do our best to make sure we were curbing the spread because it was keeping us from living our careers, essentially. So, my family was like, why can't you come? It's going to be fine. Like, you know, where I'm at, if you get sick, you're young, you'll get sick, it'll be okay. And I was like, listen, you guys can go on living your life in a slightly modified way. But to me, this is fully affecting my existence and the continuation of the thing that I'm into being like a, a realistic opportunity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So putting it into, into those I had to do that for a lot of people. Because a lot of people, well, why can't you do this, dude? Just like, come over, it's going to be fine. Like, quarantine for two weeks. Like, dude, I don't have the time to quarantine for two weeks. I have a commitment, you know, like four other people who are also doing the same thing I'm doing so we can continue this thing. And that's that's the whole part of the sacrifice of being in a band, you know, outside of COVID. I have to do that kind of stuff before. You're like, no, there's other people to think about. You're in a relationship with other people. It all like not romantically but it's like you know it's the other side of that romantic relationship where it's like you have a commitment to one another to feel like no you have to be here you have to go do this thing and you owe it to one another so explaining that especially during a pandemic was very difficult to a lot of people that kind of loyalty is nice if you can get that in a band not all bands have that mm-hmm. that attitude I agree um, well, it just speaks to the dedication there uh, at play there and, you know, well, you know, and then kind of, I guess, moving on to more fruitful conversation, I guess we could say, 
Um, uh, you know, because I don't want to bring things down too much. We're all still in the midst of this. But you did mention this uh, ambient EP that you guys are working on. Can you tell us anything more about that? Yeah. Um, super excited about it, first of all. Uh, we're recording it this Friday, all analog. Kind of, honestly, it's like we approach it the way we approach writing metal. We're going to perform it all live with minimal overdubs, straight to tape. And this is something that we've been wanting to do for a long time. And people that have been listening to our band closely shouldn't be surprised by this idea because, I mean, we have an ambient passage in Awakening. We've been using more sense with every new song we write. The, the, the whole thanks list on Hidden History references numerous, like, Krautrock, Cosmiche artists, all the way to New Age artists and, like, you know, all sorts of ambient synthesizer music. And uh, this this release is really a culmination of all of the different types of music we're into outside of metal in a realm that's metal adjacent enough for it to make sense. Mm. It's going to be like the perfect palate cleanser in between Hidden History and the next full length. And wow. yeah, if you're like if you follow the trajectory of the band, I, I think it should really make full on sense. Can, can you talk a little bit about that that next full length, or is that too far away? Uh, you, you know, we, we've, we've been toying with some ideas, got some riffs here and there, but really we've been, with with this EP, it's kind of funny because it's going to be longer than any of our records. Uh, <laughs> I just I like the idea of this being marketed as an EP. But we had to take the time to learn how to play this new style of music together. Analog synthesizers are no joke, you know what I mean? Anyone can buy a synth and play a note on it for two hours and put it in our page on it and be like, oh, this is my ambient release. But it's hmm. like, dude, no, you're just practicing how to play an instrument. It just happens to be a synthesizer, so it automatically sounds nice, you know? But there is an art to it. It's an analog instrument, and you're, like, controlling electricity that's essentially coming from the wall that you plug it into and there's lots of different parameters and we've never played music like this with each other paul's been into this kind of thing for a long time i've been a fan of it for a long time but i've like always been hesitant to approach keyboards just because i've always been a guitarist you know so a lot of us have to grapple with the idea of like okay well how are we going to put our own voice on this how are we going to spin this like we all know what we're into from tangerine Gene to klaus schultz to Kataro to vangelis all of this stuff but we don't want to sound like another dude practicing a keyboard for two hours. <laughs> this needs to be fully convincing, yeah. you know? Yeah. So we, we spent a lot of time practicing and honing in our gear and understanding our gear on our own. And then as a band, which has been, it's great. It's given us something to do, which is awesome. But also on top of that, it's really expanded our understanding of music and how to move forward beyond that. So I think when we do record another metal album, that understanding is definitely going to tint how we write riffs and what other aspects we want to incorporate into our heavy metal music. Hmm. All right, and let me ask you this. While we're talking about all these different influences and that sort of thing, something I thought about I wanted to ask you with all of the wide range of, of metal uh, and, and extreme metal and different stuff you guys listen to, because I know you guys spend a lot of time in the tour van and you have a wide range of stuff and mm -hmm. uh, uh, all this different things. 
like what uh, maybe maybe you're different. Maybe we all listen to music in the different ways. But you know, I kind of get into different things for a, for like a season or two. Like the like the last few weeks, I've been really into like Midwest death metal from the '90s and kind of in that mode. And then before you know, before that oh, for yeah. a while, I was Brutal really stuff. yeah. And then, you know, before that, I was really I was really into the old Finnish and Swedish stuff for a few months. Not that I get out mm-hmm. of it, but you know, that's like you rotate what you're listening to yeah. through you know through your iPod or something. So let me just ask you, like, what is something in metal? Uh, whether it's a subgenre or a movement or an idea or a theme that you've kind of been into lately uh, and exploring something that's that might, might maybe it's not new necessarily you know in, in 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 by nature but it's new to you or something that's been exciting to you lately. All right, so yeah, that that's a good question. I I've been talking to the guys a lot about that, and the personally, and I think they they would agree with me, like. I've been going through lots of, you know, classic black metal, death metal, heavy metal, and sifting out the records of a band that creates some sort of extreme piece of music, right? Be it whatever subgenre, that is their version of just true heavy metal. You know, like Death Sound of Perseverance, that's just heavy metal. Okay. Judas Priest, Painkiller, that's just heavy metal. Obtained yeah. enslavement, witchcraft, that's heavy metal. Huh. These dudes have like approached a point in their career and understanding of how they want to write music that is just sick, heavy metal riffs through the lens of whatever extreme subgenre they want to present it in. Wow. And I find that to be the biggest influence in what I want to do next. Like, it, you know, the riff can sound different in whatever context you present it but i just want it to be just true sick heavy metal regardless of its death black traditional new wave of whatever you know what i mean yeah i love that you threw obtained enslavement witchcraft in there. yeah mm-hmm. no i'm sorry to cut you i i just i look because when you say sound of perseverance no, no, that, that, that's the idea yeah when you say sound of perseverance and painkiller that's like I, that correlation is immediate to me, and I am a big fan of obtained enslavement. I'm familiar with witchcraft, but but like it, it clicked when you said that. I never would have thought of it though, man. It's an interesting context. I like that. Mm-hmm. All right, man. What? Yeah, what? there's plenty of other examples, but that's that's the idea. Yeah. Okay, man. All right, that's cool, man. Um, I like that because yeah, sometimes you get what like like I found you know when you when you collect stuff and you listen to all these different bands and you start having a kind of under, understanding of extreme metal like you know you you kind of get in get into it through different themes almost you know and different different waves you know that fascinates you in a way so that, that's interesting i like mm-hmm. that man that that might affect how i look at my record collection when i go home um <laughs> and you know like i like we always say we want to be respectful of your time morris we have some listener questions we wanted to run by you before we yeah, um before we let you off the hook okay so, hey, man. um so first one in uh is antitoy in developing your taste and style, what were some of your favorite records that attracted you to lesser-known, more underground realms of metal? Good question. Uh, yeah, that is a good question. So, I mean, the, the truly extreme stuff started after I discovered one of the most popular bands, Cradle of Filth. After Cradle of Filth, and it, it, this must have been, you know, I was... I came to them pretty late. I, I was like 13. I actually, I discovered them in Tel Aviv, Israel, when I went hmm. to Israel with my eighth grade class because it was part of this like pilgrimage thing we were doing. 
we stayed at a kibbutz, which is this kind of like a Hasidic Jewish farm thing. And uh, there was a, a little TV in the room that I was staying with a couple other kids that had MTV2 on it. And I put it on sometime after midnight and the video for Nymphetamine came on. Huh. And I was like, oh man, this is kind of scary, dude. What the hell is this? With these like weird looking goth dudes and like there's some chicks singing. And I was like kind of like aroused but scared at the same time. I was like, I don't know what the hell this is. This is weird. And <laughs> that really sent me on the path of this cover like Demo Borg here and it's up there like Dark Throne. It's, like, it's just interesting that you went to like a this Orthodox farm in Israel to hear Cradle of Filth and be. Odd, like, yeah, oddly dude. aroused and enlightened to metal at age thirteen. What a, <laughs> what, a, what, a what a setting! That's, oh, wow. I All guess right. that must have been must have been twelve. I guess yeah, twelve, eleven or twelve. Yeah, wow, man. So yeah, well you were. So it sounds like you weren't onto um, uh, Cradle of Filth and black metal as as uh, as young as AJ from The Sopranos, but you, you still got in there. Man. Yeah, unfortunately, um, I wasn't into over. When yeah. I was <laughs> It still comes up sometimes. Maybe it comes up over here in New York and New Jersey more. I don't know. But um, it's so funny. Uh, all right, so uh, Tom, you want to keep rolling with that? We got a few for you. Yeah, yeah, we got uh, three more. Mm-hmm. Cody Hager says, uh, "I was at a Spectral Voice concert in 2018 at Subterranean Chicago. What was the inspiration mm-hmm. for candlelight only shows?" Mm-hmm. Uh. So that was before we went like full just dark and <laughs> just to play straight up in the dark, which is a total mayhem thing. But, uh, you know, light by uh, firelight and candlelight just evokes a different emotion in people. And especially with slow brooding music, I feel like it really lets the atmosphere set in and you, you can understand where the music is coming from way more than if it's just like you know, the classic strobe light or an LED light or anything like that. Atmosphere is key. Contact is key to music. And so the candlelight, and sometimes we used incense around that time as well, really played into that whole thing. And I mean, bands, you know, it it is really kind of like a black metal occult thing. So I thought it it was pretty cool that we could incorporate that into this slow, evil death metal. Did you ever have any issues with venues uh, with using candles and incense? Oh yeah, plenty. plenty. <laughs> Mostly in Europe. <laughs> but that's why we were just like, you know what, this is kind of a pain in the ass. Let's just play full on in the dark. Because <laughs> anyone can just turn the light off. No hazards there. Exactly. <laughs> uh, cool. So next one up is from Nick Serino. I love your and Paul's different soloing styles throughout Blood Incantation's discography. Starspawn was one of those albums like Labyrinth Constellation that was so rewarding to learn on guitar. Just wanted to hear about your approach to soloing in general. What elements of your music journey influence it? Cheers and thanks for all the songs, killer live sets, and vibratory hallucinations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. Thank you, man. Uh, first of all, that's awesome that you learned those riffs or solos, whatever it was, because to me they're hard. They're still hard, you know. I think it's difficult music to play, um, especially to figure out without tabs or anything. That's a whole other thing. Um, but uh, yeah, to answer that question, I mean, earlier I mentioned Deep Purple. Richie Blackmore has always been one of my favorite guitar players, and the idea of soloing 
as a language to extend the riff has always been huge to me. You know, it can be melodic or it can be chaotic and crazy, but the whole point of it isn't to be like, it's my turn to solo, I'm going to show off everything I got. It's it, almost like in a jazz sense where it adds to the song element, be it chaos or rhythm. It, it's not just another section for someone to play a bunch of notes in. You're, you're making a statement in a language and it, you know, it's, it's got a whole context to it. And so with Richie Blackmore's playing in particular, when he goes into a solo, it's almost an extension of whatever the riff is underneath. And Tony Iommi did the same kind of thing. And uh, there's a jazz guitar player, Wes Montgomery. He's got, he's got a record called Boss Guitar. That, that is also a huge influence on the way I think of playing solos. Awesome, man. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I like that the idea of, uh, you know, making a solo phrasing around a riff as opposed to just letting it go. Mm -hmm. Makes a lot of sense. It needs uh, to speak. Yeah, and it needs to speak with everything in the context of where it's at, be it rhythmically or melodically. And, you know, it's like, you got to remember, in my opinion, like, I like plenty of crazy, like, Blasphemy Solos or Kerry King Solos, sure, awesome, but what speaks to me most? be able to remember it and kind of like piece it apart and open it. Yeah, get it stuck in your head. Um, mm -hmm. Alright, last question is from Brendan Dean. I have two questions for Morris. One, I can hear a lot of Rush influence in the BI track Inner Paths. I just wanted to know if this was <laughs> intentional and if you're a fan of Rush slash other prog bands. And then two, uh, just wondering who your influences are with respect to your guitar solo. So you kind of wrap that up. I mean, you can elaborate yeah. more if you want, you know. Sure. Um, but to answer the first part of the question, um, I love Rush. And it, as uh, in high school, you know, there was an, never really any one record I listened to. But Limelight has always been one of my favorite songs. And I, I would go, yeah, I had a Rush playlist. I never listened to any particular record. But uh, as I got older, I got more into their like listening to it conceptually as an album. And Moving Pictures is by far my favorite one because. And I was actually just listening to a podcast about this today with Stephen Wilson. He's got a great podcast called The Album Years, which Isaac turned me on to. He talks about the year Moving Pictures was released in 1981 and frames it in a way that's like, this is a band stuck in between two time periods where you can tell where they're going to go forward, but they're still paying homage to where they came from, which is why it's like the ultimate culmination of their sound. So uh, I love Rush, but Inner Paths consciously was not an homage to Rush. And I had read a review of that after the record came out. And uh, I think one of the guys in the band brought it up. They were like, what, did you rip off a Rush riff? And we listened to whatever song it was that was in question and it's not the same at all because yeah the when i had come up with the riff it was totally just like i don't know subconscious i found it floating in space you know what I mean? but um yeah that being said i do love rush and other i would say other prog rock played more of an influential element in hidden history so not rush more bands like gong or king crimson uh yes to a degree and uh, Camel, Khan. I mean, I can, the list goes on and on. But uh, Rush, for sure, a big one, but not necessarily an immediate influence, especially on that song. You ever, you ever hear of um, uh, Inner Strength from Long Island? 
inner strength. Yeah, they they didn't really have a have huge. Not. They were kind of from the nineties. Just curious. They uh-uh. kind of like you know like like people, cool. people know Dream Theater, but if you're really Long Island, you you remember Inner Strength. But I'm sorry to cut you off. Oh, <laughs> cool. Are they were they like metal adjacent or is it just straight up prog? Uh, well, no, it was it was more like like prog with a with a, a very aggressive thrash edge for like the nineties. That so it's like it's it oh, was cool. it's yeah. yeah it was kind of up there. And their their main guitarist actually like produced a lot of cult. Long Island death metal releases like Internal Bleeding and Afterbirth. Cool. So it, it definitely had a cool edge. And okay. yeah, and Inner Strength yeah, is, okay. uh, they just had a bunch of their stuff re released discography style uh, by some label that does a lot of that type of stuff so it's it's worth it's worth checking out if uh you know if you like like i'll fates, definitely check that out That's a... fate's warning or something like that older material you know something along those lines but, absolutely that's but, uh, awesome cool thank you <laughs> just while we're on the topic of Prague, i always got to give long island a, a little plug um but that was the end of the patreon questions right tom yeah just that one and i think uh if there was any other guitar um soloing styles uh, any other influences there yeah, yeah. The question. other, the other big one would be, especially in the Prague element. I, I mentioned Kim Crimson, uh, Robert Fripp. I mean, did that guy has been touring for fifty plus years, releasing innovative music every step of the way since nineteen sixty nine. It's insane. We actually went to go see Kim Crimson as a band about a week ago. That was that was my first show back since all this COVID stuff had happened. I was kind of shocked that it even happened. But Robert Fripp, for sure, and yeah, I mean, he's worked with like every notable musician on the face of the earth. It's, and his playing, you can recognize it immediately, no matter what band he's in, no matter what he's doing, you know it's him. And that's another key element, in my opinion, as being a great soloist, is like this, from the first note you play when you come in, people are like, ah, oh, you know. And David Gilmore is the same way, too. Yeah. Damn. I, I, I want to be in a band where we go to concerts together and do shrooms together and <laughs> turn down turn down shows if one guy can't. That sounds fucking awesome. No, I'm, I'm I love my bandmates for all my bands. I'm just playing, but uh, it would be nice if we could coordinate our social lives a little bit bit, bit better, guys. But uh, that that sounds awesome. You know, yeah, we're we're a little family. Yeah, that's great. We, we try to do things together as often as possible. That, no, that 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 is something to aspire to as bandmates, man. That's great that you guys do that, man. It's it speaks to the um, the, the amount of recognition you've achieved for your for your work together. I think too, man, that you stay together like Thank that. You. Um, That's and, nice to hear. Yeah, dude. Uh, and and um, like I said, we want to be respectful of your time. We got through the listener questions. One one thing I didn't want to um, another thing I didn't want to breeze over before we ask you to recommend some stuff and close it out. I did notice you had a release I wasn't familiar with. Uh, the band Black Curse, uh, Sepulchral Voice Records released your 2020 Endless Wound full length. I believe you played you played guitar on the demo and bass on the full length, right? Yes. Yeah, so that that band had kind of involved or evolved in terms of how the lineup ended up working out. Um, I'm I'm actually not in the band anymore. I love those dudes. It's not anything bad. Time related issues different you know i i was super busy with the eye and they wanted to keep going and not no weird ill feelings but uh i'm happy with endless wound and all the time i put in as far as a bass player that was that was interesting for me that was the first time i played heavy bass in, in a metal band since necro filth so it was a great experience and uh yeah i love that record i think it turned out great and the, the recording process was super fun we flew out arthur rizik 
and recorded at our friend Matt Brinkman. Matt Brinkman's house in the mountains it was a very special experience. But um, yeah, those guys are in the process of writing a new record right now. Yeah. Also, the few live shows that we have played were complete madness. It was very insane. <laughs> Uh, yeah, one other thing. Very before, dark, man. Lots of evil spirits. Speaking of evil things, um, your other project, Nature Geist. Um, mm-hmm. So that that's something you released this year, um, Reinvigorating Terror. Um, I yeah, listened to that yesterday, and I was upset after. So kudos. That's perfect. <laughs> perfect black metal. Um, is that you on the cover there? It is indeed. Fantastic! I appreciate uh, your mm. boldness. You know, and it, as, uh, as far as I understand, evil spirits don't wear clothing, so if that's what I'm going for, why should I? Hey, well, you nailed it. So, uh, mm. it, it, no, it, in all seriousness, it's a, it's a very, uh, it's, man, it really pulls you in. You're doing everything in that. Are you playing drums, or did you program them? Uh, so for for that release, it was technically a demo, you know. Yeah. Um, I programmed them, but I'm working on a full length now that will have a real drum. So I'll be working with one other guy. But uh, I am handling all of the material and then kind of working out the drum parts with him. Is that what you would call like a quote-unquote pandemic project, or is that something that you've been planning for a long time? It's a passion project I've been planning for for a while. I just, you know, because I had so much time on my hands, I was finally able to do it. And... uh, over the course of years, I had gone back and forth over I've so many different recordings for that project. But the name and the full concept really came together soon after the pandemic hit, even though I had the musical idea for many years prior. All right. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you did it, man. Um, you know, some new music and even even the cover, man. And I'm glad I didn't have to do that. I was thinking about going to Full Monty on the next Afterbirth album cover, but you know now it, now, now people would say Will's ripping off Morris, so I don't have to do that. So it's you know it's good, man. Um, but oh, listen, I give all, you my blessing, dude. <laughs> <laughs> thank thank you. All, all kidding aside, let's get out of the gutter. Um, you mentioned that there were some cancellations and stuff. I always try to plug what's going on. So obviously everybody knows who's listening, the situation going on on planet Earth right now. Um, so we got to keep our, our eyes peeled if we want to talk about live concerts and that sort of thing. But I see you guys are booked at a big uh, uh, music festival at um, one of my favorite venues in Chicago, Reggie's Rock Club, December 4th. It's the Peace Simulation Midwest Pop-Up Showcase. Indeed, yeah, that's going to be awesome. So that was initially going to be a part of a series of flyouts we were going to do, but it is now turned into something else. I'm not at liberty to say because it hasn't been announced, but it's part of something a little bit longer. Take that as you may. Okay, man, we're going to keep our eyes peeled like we said. Uh, that's mysterious. Uh, and then... Also, like, you know, like we said, we're, we're, you know, everything is tentative day by day. But September 23rd, 24th, and 25th, you guys are doing shows in Boston, New York City, and then Philadelphia as part of that Decibel Magazine Beer and Metal Festival, right? Yeah, correct. And I'm super excited for those. That, that will be our, yeah, those will be the first shows we would have played since uh, those two New York gigs. Awesome. And then, yeah, sure, after that... We have a show in Denver 
on October 30th, which will also be part of just a super small run, including Albuquerque, Denver, and Colorado Springs surrounding Halloween weekend. And then after that, in December, we may or may not be going on tour. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I always it's 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 kind of awkward for me because I try. I always want to promote the shows coming up for the bands, but we got to add that yeah, little disclaimer. Yeah. Everyone's got to keep an eye out. Everyone knows what's going on. You know, everyone knows the deal now. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um. But so something's going on in December. Keep your eye on it. Uh, it's going to be a cool lineup, and I'm super stoked about it. Of, of course, man. And we're going to keep our eye out for um, all that stuff we mentioned, as well as this uh, ambient EP when it's released uh, and, and releases by all your bands. And, Morris, before I let you off the hook, uh, if you've heard the show before, you know, I always got to leave off by asking you to recommend one newer album and one older album by any artist of any genre, just to recommend uh, something for us to check out. Yeah, okay. As far as newer album, I don't know why this like immediately came to my head, but, you know, this band has been around for quite a minute and they're super influential on Blood Incantation but the most recent Stargazer record is phenomenal and that's another one of those bands that comes to mind when I think of a band just doing heavy metal through their lens um I mean I feel like such an idiot I forgot the the name of it Uh, the cover art is also super trippy it's done by uh, Dignu a Polish artist uh, released by uh Nuclear War now. Here, give me just one second, real quick. I'll edit this so smooth. Yeah. <laughs> I think uh, I actually it's called Psychic Secretions by Stargate. Yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't sure if that was the new one because I'm kind of new to Stargazer. Admittedly, I actually got into Stargazer just because I knew of the connection through uh, uh, the guy. Is it Damon? Damien? Damon, yeah, yeah, yeah. Damon playing bass on your record. And I looked into Star. Mm-hmm. So I, I bought that new album on tape from Nuclear War now a while ago. It's very interesting, man. Yeah, they they've got a very unique sound with the fretless bass styling, and it's only a three piece, man. Believe it or not, they sound huge for a three piece. Yeah. Um, and as far as an older record goes, I've uh, you know I've mentioned King Crimson a few times at this point, but I've been listening to Discipline nonstop. It is absolutely bonkers music. All of the players on that are dudes that have been around prior to that. 80s King Crimson, so they already don't have anything to prove. They've been around forever, and they're just entering a new era of destroying it. this different sound than what people are used to. With Tony Levin on bass, just one of the baddest motherfuckers on earth, 73 and still killing it. It's crazy. Awesome, man. All right. Well, we appreciate that, Morris. And um, I'll just ask you too, man. You know, I try to I try to do uh, be as thorough with the research as possible. Is there anything I failed to plug or promote or talk about that you got going on right now? Um, no, no, not really. I mean, I've been you know Paul's been releasing lots of ambient stuff under his name, and I think all of us are kind of working towards some version of our own solo project. So when that when that comes around, it well, it'll be known, you know. I, I don't know. I've got tons of ambient releases and kind of like more electronic music recorded, tons of stuff that I'm kind of compiling to some sort of tape that will come out eventually. Don't really have a timeline for that. I don't know if it'll be under my name or under a moniker, but uh, 
definitely something will happen within within a year from now at least. And then, yeah, the Natter Guys full length, which will come out through Electric Assault Records and Vaughn Records, which I'm uh, slowly plugging away at as well. Okay, awesome, man. And as we always say on the show, any uh, final messages for um, fans of your music and listeners of our show? Yeah, uh, just, you know, sit down, close your eyes, take a minute, let some stuff melt away, read a good book, listen to a good record, whatever you think that may be. I highly recommend doing a float if that's, you know, if the idea doesn't freak you out too much. But generally, just as simple as take it easy and let things happen as they do. All right, man. I like that, man. Laid back. Kind of. Yeah, re- yeah mm-hmm. released, re- released a little bit of tension there. Uh, Morris, we really appreciate your time. Thank you for speaking with us, and we wish you the best going forward. Uh, please give my love and respect to your bandmates. Um, it's been too long. And uh, we look forward to seeing you when you return to New York City, like we said, um, September 23rd, 24th, and 25th, Boston, New York City, and Philly. Yeah, looking forward to it, man. I'm ready to play some show. Awesome. Big shout and thanks to Morris Kolontarski of Blood Incantation and Spectral Voice and all the other music that he's involved in. We appreciate his time. Yeah. Uh, makes you think. Float tanks. Mm. Honest opinion. Well, how, float tanks. How do they work? Yeah. What, what, would you do one of those? Um, I would have to consult the proprietor about my my mass my weight i don't oh, no, know they just put more salt in there for if you. They, yeah there's well if i'm if i'm getting in there it's got it should be desalted like i thought the whole process was to make me less salty and bitter and nasty right that's that's the catch 22 yeah 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 i'm just too tedious i feel like i would just get on my own nerves uh you know yeah had enough of this i don't know about a float tank um, listening to Disharmonic Orchestra on shrooms, that that I might do. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of like my version of that. Yeah, I don't know. Last, last couple of shrooms allegedly were not the best for me, so I'm kind of like just over. Yeah, well, I'm not saying I always have a great time, allegedly, but no, that's I mean, a whole other story, man. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a classic hard rock, heavy metal guy. I like whiskey, and I'll just stay there, I'm altering my brain that way. Carry on, my wayward son. Thanks. Uh, another wayward son carrying on, uh, Morris Kolontarski. Thank you for your time, brother. We appreciate him. We hope you check out. Yeah, check out that little band, Blood Incantation, if you never heard of them. Yeah, right. A little band. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody listening to this podcast, but they never heard Blood Incantation. I want to. I want to see the the Venn diagram for that. But seriously, man, no, we appreciate it. We appreciate the Patreon pledges who submitted their questions for Morris. Yeah. Uh, insightful questions. If you want to get on our Patreon, get some extra content. Uh, some extra stuff to listen to, the occasional picture or video or something like that that we share, and the opportunity to inject your own questions into the conversation every once in a while. Uh, check out our Patreon. Um, you can go to heavyholepodcast.com. The links are there for that, for our social medias. 
Uh, and we also have some merch available still if you want a t-shirt or a patch. Justin will be back in time to send out whatever you order. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how the website works, but he's doing it. I, he's hitting every order. I barely know how my phone works, dude. It's Yeah, it's an, uh, yeah I, I punch up Metallum on a calculator every week. Yeah, and uh, if you made it this far in the episode and you don't know who Blood Incantation is, like you mentioned before, you should call in. Oh, Tell yeah. us how you got here. Yeah. 631-837-3274. <laughs> how did you do it? And congratulations. My, my favorite blood... Like, we you know when the album dropped, obviously. We talked about... I mean, when Hidden History of the Human Race dropped, it was a big deal. A lot of people were talking about it. Yeah. Keith Harris from Afterbirth. I loved his take. Because, like, he's not... You know, he's one of these guys. He's got a family. He's got a job. He's not, like, plugged into every waking movement of the underground death metal scene. You know what I mean? Right. He, you know, like, like, he doesn't follow it in real time on the internet, like, you know, like like me, because I'm obsessed. But he was like, he just mentioned to me, he was like, oh, yeah, that, that Blood Incantation album, man. That's that's a really good album. I, you know, I really like that. You know, I've been listening to that or whatever. And it's kind of like that, that made it official for me. You know what I mean? Like, it popped up on the radar of this old school guy who's... You know, he's he, like he's oblivious to he's purposefully oblivious right. to what's going on because he's following his own thing. You already knew it was rad, but you're friends yeah. with them, so you you don't want to say anything. Yes. And then yes. okay, and I, then and then your friend who whose musical musical like opinions take place in a complete bubble, but whose musical opinions you completely respect recommends. It. That's all I'm getting at. Right. Uh, and Keith's a funny guy. I love Keith Harris. Shout out to him. But um, but yeah, man. So so uh, we got to the bottom of it. Um, we brought up all the uncomfortable stuff about the album cover and the haters and all that sort of thing. Uh, so shout out to Morris. He took it in stride, man. A humble guy, down to earth, man. Yeah. You know, um, like absolute f- pleasure. Good good vibes, man. Uh, another guy that's got good vibes, Justin. I miss him. Me too, man. Yeah, this part of the show, I feel like he'd be ta- interjecting something about fishing or vintage merch. Or, yeah, you know, how much tequila and. Random numbers like one. Yeah, or at this point in the show, he might just be really drunk. Yeah. Oh, wait, you just ended it. Okay, my bad. Took me a second to register.